On Point with Craig's Investment Partners. The information provided here is general in nature. It's not financial advice. It doesn't take into account your financial situation, objectives, goals, or risk tolerance. All investments are subject to risks and none are guaranteed. So before you make any investment decisions, we recommend you contact an investment advisor. For more information about our services in that regard, you can go to our website, which is craigsip.com. Welcome to On Point. I'm Mark Lister, Investment Director at Craig's Investment Partners, and I'll be talking about a range of topics, including economics, portfolio strategy, investor education, and anything else that's happening out there in financial markets. Morning, everyone. Hope your week is going well. I wanted to talk today about diversification, what it means, why investment advisors always tell their clients they should do this, uh, what the risks are of not doing it, and why a few people might choose not to follow this tried and tested rule. So let's sort of start at the beginning. There's lots of principles of investing that are sort of considered compulsory, uh, the must-do things, and one of these is the need for diversifying your portfolio. So what that means is diversification is just having a mixture of investments in your portfolio rather than just a few. And we do that and we tell people they should do that in the hope of reducing risks without dramatically compromising the returns you're likely to get. So diversification simply means spreading your capital, your money over different asset classes, you know, not being in just shares or just fixed income or just property, uh, but having a bit of all. Um, and in terms of your shares or your real estate, uh, ensuring that you own a range of companies across multiple sectors, multiple regions, and more than just one stock or two stocks or even five stocks. You could say the same about uh, investing in property um, if you're able. Uh, it would make sense to diversify uh, across different sectors, you know, maybe maybe industrial or commercial or office as well as residential or vice versa, maybe looking at different types of properties, maybe looking at different locations or different regions. A lot harder to do that, obviously, with property because uh, you you can't just buy small pieces of, of a residential property or an industrial property quite as easily. But very easy to do when it comes to financial assets like shares and fixed income. Diversification will protect you from the risk of major losses should something go wrong with one of your individual investments or companies. It won't protect you from those periods where everything goes down, such as last year, 2022, really tough year. Uh, New Zealand shares down 12%, the New Zealand housing market fell 14%, and New Zealand fixed income fell 5%. So everything was down. It was a difficult year, and being well diversified wouldn't have protected you from that although it would have protected you from maybe having a relatively concentrated portfolio with just a handful of stocks uh, if one or two of those were down more than everything else. So it does it does reduce risk. It's a risk management strategy. And I, I guess if we look over the last few years, there are plenty of examples that we could look at that uh, give us a reminder of why we should diversify our portfolio. And first, I suppose, to look at at regions. Um, and I've chosen the New Zealand share market and everything else. 
if we look at the 12 years up to the end of 2020, the 12 calendar years, essentially the period after the GFC and up until just before we saw the emergence of COVID-19, the New Zealand market had a stellar run over that period. So over those 12 years, New Zealand shares outpaced world shares in New Zealand dollar terms uh, in nine out of 12 years. So a pretty good hit rate. The New Zealand market only fell once over that period uh, in, in those calendar years, and that was a a 1% decline in 2011, so a very small decline. And over that entire period, it returned 14% per annum, including dividends over the 12 years. So it, it had a cracker run. Uh, world shares still did fine. Uh, they delivered 10% per annum over that period, also including dividends. So that's apples with apples. Uh, but 10% is quite, quite a bit behind 14%. And it was only in three of those years that world shares uh, outperformed the New Zealand market. So people that uh, hugged the New Zealand market that uh, focused on having a, a portfolio here at home for that 12-year period would have done much better than international investors or, or New Zealanders that chose to diversify by including world shares in their portfolio. However, things turned around. And since the end of 2020, you know, since that COVID period, the tables have really turned. So the local market, uh, and I'll, I'll use the NZX50 index as a, a representation of that, it's down this year. Uh, which sees it on track for a third successive annual decline. So it was down in 2021, down in 2022, and it's on track for a decline this year. That might change because we've still got you know six or seven weeks to go uh, and the market could rebound, but at the moment we're down slightly. And if you compare where the NZX50 is today uh, and, and, and look back to the end of 2020, so 31st December 2020, uh, we've seen a decline of just shy of 15% over that period. So New Zealand shares are about 15% below where they finished 2020. In contrast, world shares are up 21% this year, just this year. That's in New Zealand dollar terms. So that return has come from uh, from partly from currency movements as well. But, you know, returns are returns. Up 21%. That's uh, in comparison to the NZX50, which is down slightly this year. And world shares since the end of 2020, remember the New Zealand market's down 15% over that period, world shares are up almost 34% over that period. So a, a massive difference there. And I guess the lesson is, you know, the lesson is not that you should be, you know, in world shares or New Zealand shares. The, the lesson is that we don't know uh, which market or which region is going to be the star performer in any given year. For a long period, the New Zealand share market was the best place to be, but over the last few years, the tables have turned. And I have no doubt that the New Zealand market will enjoy its time in the sun again, uh, but that's not the point. The point is that unless you're good enough to know when to chop and change, you know, unless you're good enough to say, well, for this period, the New Zealand share market will do really well, and then... Uh, it's it's done its dash for the time being. Global shares look like a better place to be, and the currency is probably going to go away. Uh, so let's let's move from from one to the other, and then back again at the right time in future. Unless you're good good enough to pick those turning points and those movements, and the truth is most of us aren't. You're actually just better off to have a bit of both. People that have had a bit of both 
um, are probably feeling much better than people that have um, been been more focused in the New Zealand share market. People that have been just in New Zealand shares have actually had a fairly difficult time of it over the last three years, whereas if you've had a, a healthy exposure to global shares as well, you've actually done pretty well this year because that part of your portfolio has been hitting it out of the park uh, in 2023. So I think that's a really important lesson. And we could go on. There are similar examples at an industry level or a sector level, particularly over the last few years. Think back to the the time of the pandemic uh, and that 2020 calendar year. Uh, looking at the US share market, it was the tech sector that was the place to be. You know, US tech stocks were up more than 40% in 2020. Um, they had a fantastic run. And, and that same year, no one wanted energy stocks. Energy stocks were very unloved and they were the worst performer that year. They fell by almost 40%. So one extreme to the other, that was the, the best sector versus the worst sector. But that turned around in 2021 and 2022. In 2021, we saw the tech sector give back a lot of those gains and the energy sector rallied 48%. Uh, and last year, um, last year was a little bit similar. Uh, we saw the energy sector surge 59%. So the lesson is not that we should have been in tech stocks exclusively in 2020, then we should have switched out of that and into energy stocks. The point is, we don't know which sectors are going to be the best and worst performer at any given time. So we're much safer spreading our capital over a range of sectors and having a bit of everything and hedging our bets. And you'd never have a portfolio that would just have only two sectors. I've just singled those two out because we saw, you know, performances that were almost polar opposites um, over that period. But whether it's uh, healthcare or consumer staples or industrials, financials, materials, lots of great businesses right across the spectrum. And I think it is it is much safer for people to have uh, a mix of all of those. Just like it's important, you know, even within healthcare. You don't necessarily just want to pick one company. You want to have a few companies. Otherwise, you run the risk of maybe picking the right theme but backing the wrong horse, so to speak. And at the asset allocation level, uh, you want to make sure that you have a uh, balance of, of different asset classes there um, for the most part. You know, everyone's different. So um, these are very much generalizations I'm making. But I guess my point is that uh, you need to have that spread of assets uh, if you want to reduce your risk. However, uh, while diversification is important, there is a limit to how far and wide investors should spread their capital. And this is a question that I get a lot. You know, how, how much do we diversify? You know, um, okay, I get it. So one or two stocks is bad. Is five stocks enough? Is 10 stocks enough? Well, I don't think there's necessarily any magic number or right answer but as a general rule, I would say that a portfolio, for it to be genuinely diversified, it's got to have 20 to 30 different investments across a range of sectors and regions. Now, it all depends how you are going to put your portfolio together. If you're focusing only on individual companies, you know, direct stocks, you probably need a few more than that. Because even, even at 30, let's say you had 10 in New Zealand and you had, you know, eight in Australia and, you know, what does that leave? 12 across the rest of the world. 
it's probably not quite enough to get that right spread. You know, particularly when you go outside New Zealand and Australia, uh, you know, 12 or even 15 or even 20 stocks is, is not enough to have all of those bases covered. So if you if, if you insist on, on putting a portfolio together that is individual companies, you actually probably need to have more than that. Um, and that that's possible, but you have to have um, more capital to do that. You know, to have 50, 50 stocks in your portfolio, you probably have to have more money to start with. And you start getting into territory then where you actually haven't got the time and energy to monitor all of those stocks and companies. Even if you're working with an advisor or a broker or a wealth manager or um, whoever you choose to work with um, to assist you with your portfolio, it's still a lot to cover. You know, it's, um, it's hard enough covering or following, you know, 15, 20, 30 companies than any more than that. So there is a tipping point where you start doing yourself a disservice and it just becomes a little bit unwieldy. Um, if you are combining stocks, individual stocks with funds, you know, whether it's managed funds, whether it's listed investment trusts, um, whether it's ETFs, you know, passive index funds, if you're doing a combination of funds like that, which give you instant diversification and direct stocks, individual stocks, and for the most part, that's the way most of our clients and advisors would approach things. Um, you, you have the best of both worlds. You don't do just direct stocks and just funds. You you use both um, where appropriate. Then you can probably get away with less. You know, you might not need 20 or 30 securities. You might be able to have a lesser amount, but, but it all depends how you're going to approach things. You know, you might have... Uh, 10 or 12 in New Zealand, you might have 8 or 10 in Australia, that's probably enough to cover most of your bases. Uh, rest of world, I think if you are going to limit yourself to uh, 10, 15 or even 20 securities, some of those are going to have to be ETFs or investment trusts or, or other diversified vehicles because you're going to need those to give you that appropriate spread. So there, there's no right answer, no wrong answer. I think um, you need to work with an advisor to get that balance right. And it's something that can be tailored specifically to you because we've all got a different level of capital that we're working with. We're all trying to achieve something different. And we've all got a different appetite for risk. And some people won't need uh, the mix of all the asset classes. If they're just a growth investor, then maybe they will have uh, mostly shares, mostly property. They might not need fixed income. So, so it all depends um, on those individual nuances that we all have. Um, another question I get or a comment I get from a lot of people was, hang on, hang on, hang on, you're, you're always talking about diversification, the industry pushes that on us, and it's a widely accepted building block of portfolios, then how come some of the world's best investors don't do it? You know, Warren Buffett, uh, one of the, the greatest of all time, and plenty of others, they they tell us that the diversification is, is not the way forward. You know, Warren Buffett uh, once said, uh, one of his famous quotes, and he's got many, diversification is a protection against ignorance. And it makes very little sense for those who know what they're doing. Look, that's an absolutely fair point, but we're not all Warren Buffett. We don't all have um, his level of resources, uh, his track record, his expertise, 
or the the time and energy uh, that he has to follow markets and follow companies. You know, he's got a big team these days, uh, and and this is his his focal point. You know, some of us have day jobs uh, and other things in our lives that mean we don't have um, as much time as we would like to devote to our portfolio. So, I think it's. It's something we should note, you know, that is a fair view to take, but you've just got to appreciate that for every investor that's done well out of a few big bets, and you can do very well with a concentrated approach, just taking, you know, having a few stocks or a few um, financial interests, if a couple of those come off, then yeah, you can do exceptionally well. So there's probably more upside, you know, more potential gain uh, and having that concentrated approach, but there's also more to lose because when you're not very well diversified, when you've only got, you know, let's call it five stocks in your portfolio, if one of those goes wrong, then that will drag the rest of your portfolio down. But if you've got 20 stocks or 50 stocks and one of them goes wrong or even three of them go wrong, uh, that's not going to blow you up because there are a smaller piece of that overall pie. So like many things in financial markets, it just comes down to risk and return and your appetite for risk and return. For every, every investor that's done really well out of taking that approach, there'll be another who put you know too much faith in the wrong idea and, and got burnt. So I think we just need to understand uh, that relationship between risk and return and understand uh, the the, the benefits that diversification can bring, and they're mostly around reducing risk rather than boosting our returns. But for, for a lot of people, that is the right approach. There's nothing wrong with being concentrated, uh, but you do need to understand that you're taking on additional risk. That sort of approach will, will give you the potential for bigger gains if you're good enough uh, to back a couple of big winners. Uh, but the chances of failure are obviously higher too. I guess you think about your typical business owner, um, you know, someone who owns a private business, whether they're a small business owner or uh, or whatever, or or a farmer. Um, th- those people are are essentially running quite a concentrated approach to their finances, aren't they? Because the bulk of their wealth and their capital is tied up in that farm or that business. And there's nothing wrong with that. Uh, And I guess one of the diversification quotes is don't put all your eggs in the one basket, but the counter to that is just have a very small basket and watch it very closely. And that's what those sorts of individuals or business people are doing. They have a a very concentrated approach to their finances and and building wealth, but they do know those businesses or those entities or that, that farming operation very well. So so that's okay. There's there's nothing wrong with that. And for people that want to take that mentality to their investment portfolio, that's okay too. You've just got to understand what you're getting into. Uh, because for for the typical investor, uh, for those of us that aren't Warren Buffett or that don't want to take on the risk of um, something going wrong and, and having an outsized impact on the overall portfolio, we're far better off to be widely diversified and to lower our risk. Now, these are things you should talk about with your advisor. Uh, Like I said earlier, 
Um, there's no magic number. There's no right amount of stocks to own. So it is very much something that you need to work with an expert on, um, get that balance right of um, different asset classes, different regions, different sectors, different stocks, and a different um, balance between individual companies and diversified vehicles so that you know you get there one way or another um, and then multiple paths that will lead you to the right outcome and, and if you are one of those people that wants to go against the herd and you do want to uh, have a more concentrated approach look many good advisors will be able to accommodate that too but the, you should expect them to try and talk you out of that and they'll, they'll likely run through all the reasons why it is a higher risk approach and they'll probably make you do a bit of extra paperwork to uh, ensure that you understand what you're getting into because um, you know no advisor wants a disgruntled client to come back uh, in six months or six years and say look you know we did this and something went wrong and um, uh, my advisor should have talked me out of it so uh, that that's the reason that you will see uh, fund managers financial advisors wealth managers try and push people to that more diversified approach because the vast bulk of us uh, will do better if we if we employ a diversified portfolio. All right, thanks for listening. Hopefully that's useful. We'll talk again soon. For more insights, visit craigsip.com.